Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast, and a significant Nolcast that it is, the season preview episode. So uh, hopefully you guys have enjoyed the positional preview and the opponent preview. We paired those, tried to do something different this year. Uh, been a lot of fun, as always, whether uh, it's a preview or uh, instant reaction or anything else that we're doing with the Nolcast. want to start with a thank you to the Louisiana Hot Sauce people, a fantastic partner for us. Uh, continue to power and push this podcast forward and uh, we couldn't ask for a better sponsor couldn't ask for a better product to authentically boast about and uh, we're lucky to be able to work with them and thank you the listener for the incredible amount of support uh, that you've given both of us over the years there's no doubt man they've been a great sponsor for us and, and we we love their product they love our product so we're glad their sponsorship and support of us is continuing uh, before we get into our season preview and predictions, we have to touch on a little bit of news here. James Blackman officially named the starter. We recorded the the QB preview podcast, what, three weeks ago at this point? I think it was very early, like, like early in the first week in August that we actually put that one on tape. And the reason why we did so is because we were pretty damn sure James Blackman was going to be the starter. So a couple questions for you here. Uh, do you really think they could have even done anything else? Like, even if Blackman had played poorly and, and Hornerbrook had played lights out, are you really not going to start the year with the kid who was unanimously voted the team captain as the starting quarterback? What, what do you think about that? Certainly backed into a corner there that it, it just would have taken a monumental effort. And it, what it really would have taken, I think, if, if we want to get drilled down to the detail of the skill set, is that – Hornerbrook would have had to have been light years in front of James in being able to read the defense and because of reading the defense be able to make anticipatory throws at a, at a level that James, not that he couldn't, but that you would almost never be able to see him scale up to. Uh, I think you make a great point about the captain. Uh, James, it's no secret. You don't have to be a diehard Florida State fan to know that uh, James has the support of his teammates and a buy-in of his teammates that's uh, that's almost uh, kind of abnormally high and a, and a credit to the kid uh, for for him being as, as highly regarded and as well-regarded as he is. Uh, it would have taken an awful, awful lot. And to be honest with you, it would have been uh, – I almost would have taken it more as a, a disconcerting piece of information more than an acknowledgement that somebody really outperformed somebody else in a preseason camp. Right. I, I totally agree. This is not a, a tie goes to black situation. I think this is like a – you ever watch Little League on, on, on TV this time of year while they're waiting for college football to start? It's like, oh, man, that kid was actually out by two steps. Oh, I called him safe. Okay. Uh, you're right. It would have had to have been a, a massive, uh, massive victory, in my opinion, for Hornerbrook uh, to, to get this job. But the delay is interesting to me a little bit, right? Waiting until the, the last – basically the, the first week of Boise prep – in order to uh, to announce this, was this something about hey, like we we promised Hornerbrook the chance to actually compete for the starting job? Was it this race was actually really close? And if so, what does that mean to you that it actually was close? If you believe that, I feel like a little bit of flashbacks here back to the whole Jameis Coker thing. I remember exactly where I was standing when we did that 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 show uh, when Jimbo announced that it would be Winston uh, back there in 2013, and also. Uh, do you think that uh, if you don't pick Blackman, uh, that he could transfer out after, after being passed over for a, a second time in as many years? So I, I guess uh, 
guess three questions for you there on that. Uh, it certainly is a lot of Coker, uh, Coker Winston feel to it. And uh, I do think that there's a, I don't think that you say this necessarily from a sinister angle, but you have to have roster management in the back of your mind as well. And the, the idea of James transferring uh, after everything that went on last year and maybe a little bit of a mishandling of his red search situation. Don't need to go back and review all of that. But, uh, you know, there there could have been some questions about whether or not he ever would have seen the field, and rightfully so. And I think you would have lost James uh, sooner than later. And still a uh, quarterback room that's not in a, in a place to start having a whole lot of defection. So I, I don't think you have to to be too sinister to acknowledge that part of it at all. Um, I, I just think that there's too many reasons to select James Blackman here overall. And uh, you would have had to have seen a level of performance that, yes, maybe maybe this in their minds helped them keep the promise to the kid that they made and give him a legitimate shot. And by all counts, uh, he very much did. And at times, uh, supposedly, he looked to, looked to have absorbed the system in an impressive manner. But all indications with this were always going to be James Blackman's job and um, would have hard to have seen the events that would have led to a story being any different. Plus, to, to build on that, if I may... Let's say you pick Hornerbrook because he had a better camp, in your opinion, which I don't know that I agree with that, actually. But let, hypothetically here. And Blackman transfers, hypothetically. What the heck are you doing next year? True freshman or Jordan Travis? Those are your options? Hitting the transfer portal again? This is the way to do it, right? If it was actually close in camp, and I do believe there were days that Hornerbrook looked better, if it was actually close in camp, you have Blackman be the starter, right? You don't have him transfer out before the year. If he looks great, awesome. We never look back on this. If he looks poor, then you could consider making a move. I also think it's really important not to overrate uh, what you saw in camp versus what you've seen over an enormous sample set. I mean, what, probably, I don't know, close to 700 throws at Wisconsin, easily over 1,000 snaps. In Alex Hornerbrook. The bottom line is, in his career, when he's been asked to win games, as opposed to just not lose them, he's not played well. And I have real questions about FSU's ability in camp to simulate the type of pressure that he would see, or that Blackman would see, to be honest here, in a game coming off the edge. Because, let's face it, who were the edge rushers for Florida State who were actually healthy and practicing throughout fall camp. Kando was out. I think Robinson, well, yeah, Robinson was there most of the days. I know Warner missed some time. So, like, Robinson and Gaynor, basically? That's not, like, those guys wouldn't start on over half of the teams at Florida State plays, I don't think, on this schedule. The pressure they're going to see off the edge in games is a lot more than Florida State could simulate in practice, unless FSU went and did the whole old school Dwight Freeney thing that teams would use to prep for for the great Colts pass rusher where they'd let they'd let the opposing defensive end line up half a yard in the backfield to simulate you know just just how quick he was off the edge uh, so it's kind of like yeah great you look you look good you know good or whatever in camp against who against what kind of pressure against blitzes okay how do you look against Gives dropping seven and opposing teams getting pressure with, with, with just four rushers. Cause I think that'll happen. 
for sure. And I say that fully acknowledging that we think the offensive line is going to be a good bit better than it was last year. So that's kind of where where I'm at with that. But I, yeah, I do have some questions about the quarterback position, to be honest, about whether these guys really are are that great for the Browse system. We'll see. And uh, part of that is fueled by Browse comments, uh, just talking about the intangible so much, but not really wanting to talk so much about how how well the guys do and uh, and some of the physical attributes and getting rid of the ball quickly, protecting the ball, knowing where to go with it and get, getting rid of it quickly and accurately. But yeah, I, I think this is the right choice. When we talk about James uh, and when we talk about what he does particularly well, it's it's he's got one of the better deep balls you're going to see out there. And that's a that's a great strength. And when you're a quarterback, uh, you try to play to your strengths. And if you've got a hose and the ability to put the ball 45 yards downfield within a small area, then that's uh, something that you kind of naturally lean to. What James has to do is he can still make those throws. He can still show off that arm he has, but he has to do it in more of an anticipatory fashion. He, he can't wait for the play develop. He can't wait to try to find you know, the third guy breaking off and, and putting out a, a deep route that wouldn't have otherwise been there. The, the throws can go all over the field. The throws have just got to be able to go all over the field because he reads uh, defenses better, knows some of the points of weaknesses, stress points that the offense creates. And uh, he can, like I said, he can showcase the whole skill set. He's just got to get there a little bit differently. I, I agree with you on that. Also, it is important to know in the Browse system that some of these deep balls are not necessarily about arm strength, right? It, a lot of these deep balls are lofted throws that are thrown pretty quickly after the ball is released. So you can see a guy without great arm strength throw, like, like have success deep passing in this offense. What you, you don't see a ton of like the real like like deep in cuts or or the deep out shots where you really have to have the RPMs. Now I do think it's a plus to be able to have those. Certainly, uh, but getting rid of the ball quickly is valued over arm strength in this system. Again, I think James will do will do fine. If he doesn't, then at that point you can say, "Okay, look, you had your chance in the game. We'll try somebody else." Uh, but I, I think he'll be fine. Any other last thoughts before we we go to predictions here? No, with like with James, you had the rest of the depth chart released today, and I didn't really see anything else to comment on. Uh, to be honest with you, it was no. Oh, there's one thing we should do. What's that? Uh, I so when when we did our DB preview, which I think we recorded on the 16th, uh, we did not have Renardo Green as the top backup at one of the corner spots, and on today's depth chart, he was. And Coach Taggart said that he had uh, an excellent scrimmage and an excellent final week of practice, and, and really came on. So. Good on Rardo Green, man. That's that, that's yet another another true freshman that they're uh, that they're high on. A uh, good point. A kid who, by all accounts, has had a strong camp and has emerged. And uh, congratulations to him for carving out a, a nice little starting point for himself. Other than that, any other thoughts about the depth chart before we transition into the subject matter of predictions? I, I thought the kick return stuff was a little bit interesting. Going with a bigger body. In, in a Keith Gavin there to, along with a, a smaller guy. So in, in theory, you want the bigger body to get out ahead as kind of an extra blocker to where you can actually have uh, legitimately 10 blockers as opposed to two like like true returners. Now, 
Um, that's not to say Gavin can never return a kick. We've, we've certainly seen him return a kick pretty well uh, one time in his career against Michigan there back in 2016. But I, that – that, it didn't surprise me, but it, but it was it was interesting to see what they're going to do. I'm hoping to see fewer kick returns overall this year. I want to see more fair catching because I think they sacrificed some field position last year. Although we've, we've gone over that, right, why they did that, why they felt it was actually worth the gamble – and the reason was, and they were correcting this, I think, the, the reasoning, not the outcome, that their offense was so bad that they were very unlikely to score on offense, and thus the relatively low chance of a score on special teams was worth the risk uh, of, of losing some field position. It just happened to be that they weren't, weren't <laughs> good at all uh, on special teams either. So that's basically it. Um, are you surprised to see Robinson over, over Kando, or is it more of just a – Look, Kando hasn't practiced hardly at all during camp, and Robinson's been out there type thing. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly what it is. I, I don't know that you would have been able to put Kando in, and both from what he's done in camp and just not hadn't been there enough. And Robinson, by all counts, isn't on the verge of having some major breakout season, but has had a nice buy-in over summer and has done everything that's been asked of him. I, I think that's what you had to have originally. I agree with you on that. Um, so. Let's uh, let's go ahead and get to our uh, our predictions and, and preview and, and, and all that kind of stuff. What, what do you say? Let's jump right into it. Uh, before we do, just want to thank our friends at Madison Social, a fantastic partner for us since day one. Uh, and we are very, very excited about the tailgate. Uh, it's been incredible turnout as far as uh, support, how many people are going to be there, uh, trust in the uh, – professionals when it comes to a hospitality setup like this and look forward to meeting as many of you guys as possibly come Saturday uh, down in Jacksonville. So uh, happy to be able to work with great people for another year and can't think of a better way to uh, start off a uh, agreement like that within uh, than this Saturday around noon. And uh, would, uh, we'll, we'll work to have some kind of live show or question answering session there and hope to uh, continue to be able to meet and interact with as many of your listeners as possible. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a blast. And, uh, hey, we told you all it might rain, right? Having a legitimate indoor tailgate, not a tent, that's – y'all are really going to appreciate that, I, I think, come Saturday. All right. So, uh, in order to do our, our predictions here, we didn't want to do just the record thing because there's so much noise and, and variance in that. Uh, last year, just, just to give a couple little, little things here, obviously Florida State went 5-7. and seven. Not very good. They finished uh, 71st overall uh, in S&P Plus, which is now renamed uh, SP Plus because of a trademark issue <laughs> between Bill and uh, <laughs> obviously the S&P uh, ratings on Wall Street. Uh, not ratings, excuse me, the, the S&P index on, on, on Wall Street. So uh, SP Plus is, is now what it's called. FSU finished 71st last year. Again, this is opponent adjusted, so it's it's how well do you play against the opponents that you played. So it, it, if you just beat up on a bunch of terrible opponents, doesn't help you out very much. 71st is pretty bad, obviously. And uh, this year they'll be looking to improve on that. I do want to point out one thing before we start, right? How easy is this schedule, actually? I, I was looking at this, and, and I, I tried to pull a couple different ratings uh, together for this. A lot of people are like, oh, this schedule is so much easier than, than last year. And I'm like, I, I think I agree that it's easier. And I think we're both in agreement that it's easier. 
But is it that much easier than last year? Is it if you took last year's team and played them against this schedule? You think it's it's like a full win easier? You think it's like two full wins easier or something? I, I I'm not convinced that it is. And I looked at it and I said, okay, so why? Well, part of it is you're playing Florida on the road and Boise in the non-conference. Like your second non-conference game is against the team that is most likely to go to a New Year's Six Bowl for, from the group of five. Like Boise's over/under win total is ten in Vegas. That that's not a cakewalk. Uh, and I'm not not dropping the Boise preview here tonight, obviously, but that's that's not too easy. Now, on the other hand, you also draw the two coastal favorites from the opposite division. A couple of years ago when we looked at this, we're like, oh, great, Virginia. Awesome. That, that'll be a nice nice breather there in conference play. Well, it turns out Virginia is actually pretty damn good. And you got to play them on the road. And you play, you got to play Miami, which which still has a really good defense that's likely to give you, give you problems. And the offense, I, I guess I guess we'll see. But th- those are the two favorites out of the Coastal. It'd be a lot better to have a draw out of the Coastal like, let's say, Georgia Tech, North Carolina, right? Or Georgia Tech, Duke, or you know, something like that. SP Plus actually has the 15th most difficult schedule in the nation. ESPN, I think, has it top 25. This is an easier schedule than last year, I think. But it's not a cakewalk schedule by by any stretch of the imagination. I'd much rather have a schedule like Miami has, to be honest. Like, their, their schedule is not tough at all. No, Miami's schedule is laughable. Or not laughable, but it's, it's certainly laughable when compared to Florida State. And uh, I would agree with your sentiments that it's easier than last year, but would not take it much further than that. Maybe I wouldn't go a full game. It's a challenge, and you make a great point with Virginia, where they fall in the season. And uh, there's just a lot of games here, and we'll get to it in a second with our predictions, that uh, I think Florida State is in a good place to win. But they're not in a not in a great place. Uh, there's going to be a lot of lot of fights here, and ultimately the success of the uh, of this season will be decided by you know how many of these how many of these scraps Florida State can get into and and win uh, because there's just not many gimmies on this uh, on this schedule as it lays out. Certainly not. So last year Florida State seventy first seventy first in S and I'm I'm actually. I've been looking at, looking at what Bill has projected. I've been looking at some other ratings. I've been doing my own. Obviously, I, I maintain my own set of power ratings for, for gambling purposes and, and have been a successful gambling columnist now for a while because I actually do put the work in. And, Ingram, I, I like Florida State's chances here to be a top, like, 33 team. And why do I pick 33? Because that's the top quarter of college football teams, right? There's 130 teams. Top quarter is, is, is 33. Now, look, there's going to be some variance there. So if I'm within, I don't know, 10 spots either way, I'm pretty happy. But I, I, I'm i very confident that Florida State's going to return to the top third of teams at least, which is, you know, like top – at least top 50 from 71. But I, I think there's a very good chance that they could end up end up like top 33, top 34, man. That That's that's possible. And if you do that, I think you got to feel really good about the direction of the program to go from 71st uh, to, to like inside the top 35. Do you, have you done anything as far as where, where you think they'll be quality of team? This is not record. This is just how well they'll play, you know, accounting for their schedule strength. 
Uh, I have, and, and we're not all that far off. I'm really looking for them to be in the top 40. Uh, just looking for a significant pivot from where you were last year, a obvious uh, point of improvement and something that uh, collectively everybody can buy into, whether you're a recruit, whether you're a booster, whether you're a sidewalk fan. I think you've got to inject a little bit of life into this program. It doesn't mean that you're you know, making – stuff that we label a magical season 20 years down the line or anything else uh, but I think you have to display a level of competency and a suggestion that this is one of the elite programs and in two to three years uh, it has the ability to be not necessarily on the top of college football uh, but back in the conversation where you're consistently talking about this being one of the top 10 top 12 programs in the country I, I completely agree with that all right, we also want to do something fun for y'all, and I, I think this is an exercise you should do at home. If you do it, tweet it at us, right? We're going to go game by game, and we're going to alternate. We're going to give our prediction on FSU's winning. Like, what, what's the likelihood they win each game, right? 10%, 50%, 100%, whatever. And then at the end, we're going to add all that up, and then we're going to spit it into our – we're going to put it in our computer, and our computer's going to spit it out and tell us, okay, if this is what you believe on a game-to-game basis – here's the most likely records that this team will have. And we'll see how consistent that is with our belief that this team will be, you know, in the top quarter or top third of college football teams. So you ready? Let's go. This should be fun. Yeah. Boise State to start. Uh, Boise State I have at uh, 63% here. 63%. <laughs> okay. I feel like I should take a picture of mine and if for Did you I really? Have it, I have it at sixty two percent. So um <laughs> No, uh, we did not but, share our spreadsheets before this for literally yeah, we were exact about not, not sharing anything. So okay, funny. All right. All right, uh then you come home and you get the Warhawks of uh Louisiana Monroe. I guess I'm first here and I kinda talked myself down, maybe I'm being too concerned, but I ended up putting this at eighty three percent. Eighty three percent. Sir, if, if you let me bet a money line on 83% on that, I am definitely going to take Florida State. I have them at 98, 98% on this game. That is 98%. I think we game, were a little split on that. T- yeah, game two from last year is probably a little too fresh in my head. And, uh, they some probably of the should have lost to Sanford. Yeah, they should. They probably should have. But <laughs> uh, good. Good to see we got a little bit of breathing room. We're not going to be mirroring each other by a percentage point. Trip to Charlottesville, but I believe it's your turn to tee us off. Literal coin flip. I think Florida State, if they were on a neutral yeah. field, would be a real slight favorite, like real slight. Having to go to Virginia is tough. Do I think Virginia's defense is very good. Its offense, I have some questions about. I went 50%, just straight up 50%. I'm glad we've returned to the norm, 50% on the dot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Now, now I think it's where it gets interesting, and a very important stretch for Florida State. Louisville. Now, I had a little trouble with this because, like, you, you can look at the numbers, and you can look at this other stuff. But Louisville quit last year. And so the computer is going to see really terrible season from Louisville. And it's not going to account for the fact that Louisville really just did not want to play for Bobby Petrino and Van Quarter and those guys. But I'm still not sure there's that much talent there. I think getting this game at home – is a big deal. So I, I went 86% on Louisville. Okay, good. Uh, a, a nice pop here. I'm at 74% on this one. So we're, we're not really that far off here. We're, we're talking about like, you know, 10. 
Now, the next one, NC State. NC State beat the hell out of Florida State last year, but they did lose a ton. I mean, like we, we went over this in our, our, our team previews uh, series. NC State, I think what they lost, three offensive linemen in the NFL, several defensive players are, are, are important are now gone. Jacoby Myers looks like a stud for the Patriots at, at receiver. He, he's now gone. They also have to replace their quarterback. I saw announced today that um, – Bailey Hockman is not going to be the starter at, at NC State. So cue up the uh, Jalen Ramsey quote about uh, you, know, you go through how many coaching staffs and you're still not starting. It, it, it may not be the coach or, or the program. It might be you. Who did he say that about? Was it John Franklin? Yeah, it was John Franklin. Jalen had a, a strange, uh, <laughs> a strange uh, bone to pick with John Franklin at times, uh, and that was that was one of them where. Uh, just you know talk about punching down uh but yeah anyway yeah okay so i went wait oh you're up on this one actually yeah um i'm at 55 percent on this game okay i am at 74 percent uh I, okay. I just with what little with what nc state lost i'm i'm lower next one uh, you get a bye week and then you go to clemson i went five percent nine percent on this end that's fair. I mean, I, I would want, I would definitely want better than ten to one if I was going to take Florida State to pull an upset here. Assuming that the teams are, are at full strength, you know, like if, if Trevor Lawrence is knocked out, then you know, okay. And then uh, the next one here at Wake Forest. Wake Forest, I think a team that we're both fairly high on. I mean, like, or maybe maybe not high on, but like higher than the consensus. There's a lot of people out there who think they're going to miss a bowl, and I just, I don't know, I don't see it. Struggled with this one a little bit. Bounced back and forth some numbers. Ended up uh, finishing around 65% here. Okay, I'm actually at 63%. Okay. So we are we're, we're, we're pretty lockstep on that one. Next one, I kind of had a little trouble with too, man. Syracuse, right? Like, I, I don't think Syracuse is going to be as good as they were last year. I think they lost some important pieces. But but damn if they don't have the best pass rushers in, in, in the ACC. And that's like a – it's just like kryptonite for – like, like, what's the worst position on this team? Maybe by far, offensive tackle, right? Like, that's not easy. So, I know it's at home, uh, but I, I went sixty-three percent. So, not not an overwhelming favorite for for Florida State in that game. Best pass rushers in the ACC and a potential All-American in the secondary is a scary idea. I'm at fifty-eight percent on Syracuse. Okay, so we're we're pretty close there uh, against Miami now. Obviously, I don't know if this changed your opinion at all after watching them in that opening game. By the way, interesting comments by their offensive coordinator today. I don't know if you caught those or not, but he he was basically saying like a lot of that wasn't on the line. Jaron Williams uh, was responsible for half the sacks that he took, which look is ten. So, <laughs> well, I I think that that could should only mean one thing, and that is that. Uh... Nikosi Perry returns as a starter when Florida State plays Miami. Yes, uh, that please be, bring back Cozy. That's, that's how I think that should shake out. As far as the game here, I'm at a. I'm, I returned to a coin flip. I'm at fifty percent. I, I went fifty five simply because I I don't know that Miami's going to take that offense on the road and succeed. But yet I do like Jaron Williams an awful lot. Like legitimately, Miami. Their fans have been so desperate for a quarterback, and they would hype up any quarterback like Nikosi Perry who didn't even really stand out that much in a fairly like not that impressive quarterback year that he was in. 
and they obviously hype the hell out of Tate Martell, but Jaron Williams is the most talented quarterback in that room. I just don't know if they pick Jaron Williams because he is a he's the best option right now, like actually good, or maybe because he's the best option right now because they don't have a whole lot of good players yet, and uh, and he might be really good down the line. So I'm at 55 there. Then a real crucial game for Florida State. This is a potential letdown spot coming off the game against Miami, but this is a game they really have to have if they're going to meet their goals, and that is at Boston College. Man, there, there are not a lot of gimmies on this schedule. You know, like this is what I'm talking about. Like they're, You play your B game, you can lose on some of these for sure, even if you're favored. So uh, this is one I think I'm actually pretty against the crowds. I went, I went 70% at Boston College. I know it's on the road. It's early November. shouldn't be that cold. I'm baking in a little bit of BC maybe having quit at this point. Um, so I, I went 70% there. 70% on this end. Okay. That is scary how accurate – or not how accurate, excuse me, how, how much in lockstep we are. Alabama State, 100%, I assume. It's a bad FCS team. 98%. 98%. 98%. So if I give you 50 to 1, you'll take Bama State? <laughs> I don't need you uh, taking all my money from me, bud. But, uh, yeah, just in a place where hard to give anybody 100% on this uh, this team right now. But uh, All right, clicking over to the decimals. All right, I, I rounded, but I, I, I was at point nine 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 five. So <laughs> appropriately rounded up, I would say. Do Absolutely. I do do I do four decimal places? I, I do. <laughs> and then the game at Florida. This is this one I actually dropped FSU's odds a little bit after watching Florida play. I was pretty down on Florida coming into the year, and now I'm a little bit higher on them, which is weird to say after they barely beat Miami, but Miami had fourteen to seventeen points of turnover luck. If you kind of watch that game and we're like, how the hell is Florida not blowing out Miami? I did too. I was very much of that mindset because I had Florida uh, several times in live wagering. So, you know. The thing that impressed me was that their offensive line didn't look completely garbage against a really good Miami front. They seem to have found a real good pass rusher in, in, in Jonathan Grenard, the, the Louisville transfer, although he's going against, you know, um, True freshman, redshirt freshman tackles who both struggled. That game's in the swamp. I, I'm not real big on the idea of Florida State's tackles traveling to hostile environments against elite pass rushers like Clemson or Florida. So I, I went 20% on this one. 20%. Okay. Uh, I'm at 34% here. Okay. So there, there is, you're, you're, you're picking up a win there. Well, not a win, but that, that's, that's a big jump for you over me because I think throughout this I've been a little bit less – optimistic um on some of these so if you total it up what what did you get seven like seven three yeah i'm right right in that area okay so you're at 7.3 i'm at actually 7.47 so 7.5 all right well this is not that tough we can we can i I look this up prior if you think about this, the, the two games that we both have them as, as clear dogs, I mean, at Clemson is, is a clear dog, and then at Florida, clear dog. Not by as much at Clemson, obviously. Y'all can save the emails on that. There aren't a whole lot of ones where they are a like a real, real clear favorite. I mean, Louisville, 
UL Monroe and, and App State are kind of the three where you think, okay, they're they're clearly probably double digit favorite in this game. So I look back and you know the the average variance on a win total projection of like seven and a half ish. It's about one and a half. It's actually a little bit greater than that. It's 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 like one point seven. So if you take that, let's say Ingram on yours, right? Seven point three. If you project a team to do that and you have as many coin flips or coin flip type games, let's say games where they're they're not, they're favored by less than a touchdown or they're a dog of less than a touchdown, just basically games that are single score projected. Dude, anything between like nine and three and six and six is really like really within reason. And the team could be no better. You could have a team against this schedule that goes six and six, and it would actually be just the exact same quality team as one that goes nine and three against a schedule like this, just based off bounces and luck. So from that perspective, and I'm basically, we have almost the exact same projected records here. I'm like, I, I, if you think it's a, a nine and three team, if you think it's a six and six team or an eight and four team or a seven and five team, I, I really can't argue with you. I'm right there with you. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of the range. Now, if you're telling me this is a ten and two team, I'm struggling with that a little bit, right? And, and I, I think if you tell me this is a five and seven team, without having a crystal ball to project some crazy or not or some very very unlucky spot injuries. I'm thinking you're probably a little bit too too pessimistic. Maybe you don't like Willie Taggart. Maybe you don't believe in the changes that were made that, from all accounts, were were pretty good changes. So for me, like I, I think this team will be certainly in the top top third and and probably in the top quarter of college football teams uh, if it can stay just average healthy, right? With, with the injury luck, and unfortunately, that's a luck component. But man, record-wise, with this many coin flips, this is why this is why it's smart to actually look at a range, a reasonable range. Six and six to nine and three is 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 totally totally doable. And all those records, luckily, all of those records actually represent an improvement over last year, which is the cool thing. Not to sound like a, a middle school wrestling coach, but uh, it's a team that's just going to be in a ton of ton of dog fights, and they're going to have to find a real change in the culture as far as relying being able to rely on each other maybe have a little bit more overall discipline and belief in uh what's being asked of them schematically and there's gonna have to be a hard lot of hard fought you know maybe games where you win a field goal in three minutes or you make a critical stop and uh just plays that are indicative of a program that's getting itself back to a place where it uh, wins wins the games where previously it had lost and getting more comfortable winning games and all the habits and tendencies to go up that uh, or lead up to that. So interesting season that fits in front of us here and uh, so many games as we as we mentioned before we even got in the percentages. So many games that could go one way or another that uh, looks to be a very entertaining season with some bumps in the road but also potential signs of very real progress. Oh, also, I want to note something here. I, I know I'm higher on this team than a lot of the projection models are, um, but the projection models are seeing last year's team, which 
did have legitimate injury problems at offensive line and DB. Uh, did have a ton of dysfunction, which we think it's going to have less dysfunction this year. They're also, and that's the most important input, right? It's, it's what happened last year. What's returning off that team as far as returning production? These are all very sound principles of projecting. However, it also looks back at three and five years, typically. Well, what happened two years ago? Your starting quarterback got hurt in game one. So you went on to play the next 12 games with a true freshman backup who had some moments, but overall was not that good as a true freshman, as you would not expect him, James Blackman here, uh, to have been. But the projection system doesn't really see that. They see, okay, this is two seasons in a row where the Knowles are are really nothing special. And that's that's not a good thing. So I'm seeing, okay, there were some little bit of mitigating circumstances in 2017. Also, the coaching staff quit, which is <laughs> somewhat important. And, and, I, and I'm higher on this team than, than those are. Then again, nothing between 6-6 six and six and 9-3 and three would really surprise me. I do have a question for you here, though. And this, we, we got, we'll do mailbag in a little bit, but this is something we got a lot. Purely, let's go rating and record, right? What would you consider a successful season for this team? Not to be just too uh, repetitive or, or not offer up a a, a more <laughs> unique answer, but I, I think the real definitive markers is just getting to eight and four, uh, showing progress, going to a a bowl game that's not in uh, you know some backwood town, and uh, just reestablishing yourself on the general map of college football and respectability for the program and overall. I, I think that's that's a lofty goal. I mean, I. Man, if they go seven and five, I, I think that's probably probably a success to me at least because that that means you're not fighting for a bowl game when you go to Florida, right? You're probably already seven and four, but that's that's fair. I mean, we're only game off here, right? Like this is this is pretty close. I I'm gonna say for me, seven and five would be would be a successful season, and ratings wise, I. I think they need to return at least to, to like the top 45 teams in the country. Okay, can, can you go from like 71st to the top 45? That that'd be pretty. That like I I think that would show real progress. If you're still middling around like in the 60s, top 60 type team, regardless of your record, right? Like you could you could be a top 60 type team and screw around and go nine and three with breaks. I, outwardly. That would be a success to me, but inwardly, I think we would all know, hey, this is smoke and mirrors nonsense and, and not not sustainable. By the way, what an offseason that would be, right? Like if, <laughs> if we had to do that and be like, yeah, by the way, guys, that 9-3 and three was uh, was very, very hollow and very would, lucky. Uh, and make us very popular with a fan base, no doubt, where we have to uh, – uh, you know, water down kid. the uh, water so down the excitement that's paired with a nine and three season. <laughs> Just I'll, I'll have another kid and take a month off. Okay. Yeah, I know. Does nine and three bring us a, bring us a certain talented defensive playmaker from the West Coast? I could. Uh, well, then it's a success. Yeah, I would uh, not worry about what the analytics said at that point. But uh, yeah, hey, that'd be that'd be a lot of fun. Let's hope for it. I do think it's it's interesting to, to look at like the most likely path that you could take to get to eight and four, nine and three, right? And, and I've went and, ch- and 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 charted this out. Also, I wrote Archie State in our outline, and that is supposed to be Alabama State. All right, 
So to me, there, there's kind of four categories here. And a lot of this is based on what we think the weaknesses of this team are. Number one, the gimme wins. You can't slip up against Louisiana Monroe or Alabama State. Number two, the auto loss. Clemson, you're not going to beat Clemson. All right. I think even if Lawrence gets hurt, I would still pick Clemson. I don't know. Do we, we talk about that on the show at some point? Maybe. Yeah, I believe we've ref- we've we've had some kind of conversation surrounding that. And no, under there's very few circumstances that you can lead to where uh, the question of uh, the Clemson game even being able to come into uh, into a, a sane conversation as to what's needed for Florida State to win that game. All right. So, do you think Florida should be in this category? The auto loss. I think clearly by by your win percentage, you think they should be in a, a different category, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm quite comfortable putting it in auto loss, but I uh, certainly have it as a, a strong, a strong suspected loss. Okay, so to me, right now, I would have us at two and one. You got, you got your two gimmies and you got your auto, and I don't like doing these you know, one or zero, one or zero binary all or nothing things. But I think with these three, that's fair. If you're going to get to eight and four, nine and three, I really think you have to sweep your four conference games, in which your offensive line shouldn't be totally outmatched or outmatched. I don't want to say totally outmatched, right? And those four to me, and there's two road games in here, which makes this a little bit tricky, but at BC, at Wake, Louisville, and NC State. If you lose one of those four, I have a real hard time seeing you get to like a 9-3 and three type thing. If you sweep them, then you're kind of on your way. And those four teams are, are the teams I really think that this offense can score some points against because I don't think those teams are going to have the pass rush to really screw up what you're doing. If you can sweep that, and I'm not saying you will, but I think this is the most likely path, and, and jump in here if you disagree with me on this, right? If you can sweep those, then you'd be 6-1 and one in the games that we already talked about. And then there'd be five games left. Boise, Virginia, Miami, Cuse, and at Florida. Obviously, UVA is a road game. And these are the games in which I think your offensive line is somewhere between outmatched and and really outmatched. Can you pull off two and three in these games to go eight and four? Can you pull off three and two in these games and go nine and three? I, I think that's your most likely thing. If you slip up and lose one of those four affirmation conference games, then in order to go nine and three, you would need to go four and one in this stretch of Boise at UVA, Miami, Cuse at UF. And I think that's not real likely. That's kind of my, my path to, to go eight and four, nine and three. Yeah. I'm more or less in agreement with you there. Uh, you know, there's certain games that you just can't lose and games that if we're doing an instant reaction podcast and you lose some of these conference games that we've talked about that we think you're in a decent place to win. Uh, but if you, you have one of those go your way, that's really when you have to start to have a, a conversation about adjusting uh, overall expectations and um, certainly if a, a string of those come about. But uh, I do think that there's you know some real kind of natural bookmarks in this schedule where you'll be able to look at uh, chop the seasons and uh, uh, whether you want to make it thirds uh or quarters and be able to assess where you are and have kind of an idea as to how the next two to three games are going to play out. And the first one of which is obviously week one and week three. If you come out of UVA and you're two and one, then that's not a perfect situation, but that's uh, that's somewhat what was expected. And as you mentioned, kind of a 
reflection of the fact that you've got a hellacious schedule uh, and you draw two of the better teams from the Coastal and one of them uh, in the more likelihood, whether it be Boise or UVA, more likely UVA, uh, had already tagged you for a loss. So uh, I do think that there's just periods in this schedule that you can look at and have kind of chapters when you break down how this whole thing's going to play out. I totally agree. Man, if you go 2-1 and one in his opening three games, I don't really care how they happen. I mean, I, I think Boise, it'd be better to beat Boise, but you go 2-1 and one in those, that's a success all day for me. Because, I mean, both of those are games which I think your offensive line is is, is overmatched. And you're going to have to have to, to find ways to to coach around that and, and, and play around that. You go 2-1 and one in that, that's the split. You need to be splitting those five games. Again, Boise at UVA, Miami, Cuse at UF. That That's the ticket right there. So, okay, we've kind of gone over what we think this team will do, what we would consider a success, uh, what does the path to sort of the upper range of the projection uh, look like. I, uh, I do think 8-4 is a lot more likely than 9-3, by the way. Like, if I had to pick between those two, I, I think there's a significant drop-off. All, just like I think 6-6 six and six is, is, is quite a bit less likely than 7-5. Than I think 7-5, 8-4 are kind of your sweet spots for this team if you really have to narrow it down. All right. Uh, buy or sell. We'll do a quick buy or sell here brought to you by Resolution Home Loans. Again, call 844-FSU-LOAN or visit FSUHomeLoans.com. When you do, you'll get hooked up with Shannon Young. Shannon is the best loan guy in the business. We actually have two more two more sets of T-shirts to send out because we just had two more NOLCAST listeners close with Resolution Home Loans. Again, 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. And uh, Ingram, I'm have to update the little tally here. That is, that's 30. Incredible. 30 in 12 Incredible. months. Incredible. Absolutely. Yeah, just remarkable. And uh, we're fortunate to be able to talk about people that uh, you worked with and had such a great experience with. And it's just absolutely thrilling that so many of our listeners have been able to uh, utilize the services that Resolution works and that this has been such a great pairing. So, buy or sell here. Uh, we only have one buy or sell tonight. Or no, actually, we have two. Apologies. We, we do have two. I, I just happened to copy-paste them in the wrong spot. First one, and we selected this simply because I think it speaks to the ceiling of this team, not the floor. No player on the current roster is or ever will be on the FSU all-time uh, team. I think that's a pretty clear buy, right? That they will not have one on the all-time team. Akers is not really eligible for it because he didn't have the, the sophomore season that would make him have like a nice three-year set. I don't think Terry's going to be eligible for it. The, the receiver rotation is pretty hard to crack on that team. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, Marvin Wilson, again, like happens to be a very good player at, at like one of the best positions Florida State's ever had. So if there's a candidate to be on this team, it's like what, Dent or, or, or Travis J potentially? Like down the line? Am I maybe the maybe uh maybe Jordan? Maybe. Again, wide receiver's yeah. not something where you where you uh very easily jump into any type of ring of honor, but yeah, I mean those the are the Pope. only names. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe. By the way, good on Dante for starting. Willie Taggart announced on the Jeff Cameron show that he would be starting in this game and I I think it's good, man, to reward the dude who came in into camp in shape, not the guy who still looks like he's, you know, three forty or three fifty. 
You know, like they said, Dante, you need to lose like 50 pounds, and he did it. That's a good sign, and it's also not a bad recruiting tool to say, hey, look, you come in ready to play, you're going to play. Mm, 100%, especially at that group. Next one here. Uh, James Blackman is the best quarterback in Florida. Buy or sell? I'll buy. Maybe I'm being a homer there. Maybe I'm maybe I'm too pessimistic on what's what's in Gainesville, but uh, I I will buy that and hope that I'm proven right over the course of the year. Were you surprised at, at how much camera time Felipe Franks got? I don't understand. I mean, look, you're the, he's the quarterback at Florida, and it's uh, the first game of the year, and just to the you know the sidewalk fan who's just turning in because it's college football you it's it's good to keep it on the fundamentals and that is the quarterback and the head coach and everything else on times like that but I was surprised by the storyline that a very mediocre quarterback seems seems to be I I don't think he's like that bad I think he's probably not taking the quote-unquote next step that some Florida fans thought he would take and become like a major major NFL draft prospect. I think he's probably a, a decent to good college quarterback, uh, which is what the question asks. And he played poorly in that game, I think. And I'm all about dudes like, like going over the camera and getting love and, and talking trash. Like, yes, celebrate. have Get a little more spirit into this game. But that's if you play well, right? If you... If you do that and you go throw one of like the worst interceptions you'll ever see with four minutes left on your own 25, mm-hmm. that may not be the time. <laughs> right? like the time, place, and manner kind of have a, an important part of, of this. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was curious. All right, now we'll get to uh, some questions here. First question is brought, we're actually going to be our Ask the Expert question. It's going to be brought to you by Travis Johnson. As always, talking to you about our newest sponsor here, Travis Johnson, attorney at law. Travis Johnson is a board certified family attorney with over a decade in the practice. Only 280 board certified family attorneys in the state of Florida out of more than 10,000 attorneys. So Travis knows what he is doing. And we know we have a lot of listeners in the military here. And tonight we want to talk a little bit about that. Are you in the military going through a divorce, maybe? The division of retired pay is a major issue that needs to be done right. Or you could lose out on a substantial benefit that that you earn for your service. Understanding how disposable retired pay is calculated. The impact of electing survivor benefit premiums. How VA waiver pay works in conjunction with retired pay. The difference between VA disability pay and current retired disability pay. And combat-related disability pay. And the difference between active duty and and reserve retirement pay. Those are complicated issues, and you want to make sure you get those right and get those right done the first time. Travis has a lot of experience in those issues. You can give him a call, 850-435-9919. Again, that's 850-435-9919. His primary office is located in the Panhandle, but he does have cases throughout the state, and he will come to you if need be. So support the NOLCast and get you an expert. Get Travis Johnson. All right, what sort of adjusted pace do you really expect? This is a, a shortened question that we got from a, a, a longtime listener, and we appreciate it. So, again, the last four years, Browse has been fourth, fourth, first, and second nationally. That's not conference. That's in the entire country out of 130. Fourth, fourth, first, and second in adjusted pace, which is the, the good, uh, 
good tempo stat that Bill Connolly has. Now, interestingly, you have to understand which teams were, were operating at, a, at, at pace before he got there. Clearly, Houston was, uh, Florida Atlantic to some extent was under Lane Kiffin, and, and Baylor uh, was obviously a, a pretty aggressive pace team. So I do not expect Florida State to, op- to operate at a top five pace this year, uh, but I do think that they're going to pretty significantly I- increase their pace. And if, Do you remember what their pace was last year? Not off the top of my head, I don't know. So, adjusted pace last year, Florida State was 49th. I think that they will at least slash that in half. They're gonna they're gonna be a top 25 pace team, in my opinion. The the practice tempo has been a lot a lot more, a lot faster, and getting in the top five like like he's been the last four years. I don't know if that's realistic because they did just you know, last year they struggled to, to operate. At pace, although there was a certain improvement from the from the 2017 season, uh, no doubt. But I, I think top 25 is very safe. It wouldn't surprise me to see this team at a top 15 pace. Uh, if you get to a top 10 pace or something like that, you are really cranking it uh, the, the the pace up. So, yeah, I, I think that's that's a fair assessment. You you got anything on that? You agree? Disagree? Yeah, I'm right. Top, uh, I'm somewhere between 17 and 20 is where I would guess uh, as far as the window here. Uh, we're more or less in agreement. I think you see a significant uptake uh, in pace and a uh, pretty decent learning curve throughout the course of the season as the uh, roster gets a little more comfortable with doing that in a game situation. All right, that was Ask the Expert, brought to you by Travis Johnson, attorney at law. Next one here, back to the mailbag. Uh, we know Willie Taggart visited Baylor when establishing the Gulf Coast offense. How much of the Browles slash Clements concepts do you think he'll be able to absorb in the next two to three years to continue in years to come? I think this question is assuming, of course, that uh, that Browles is not here uh, for five or six years, something about which we concur. What do you think? I think it's an interesting question, the fact that that's – that idea that Willie went to Baylor – is uh, or at least was talked about so frequently last year. I um, yeah, I, I do somewhat subscribe to the theory that yeah, maybe this is Willie. You know, not so much getting the the one hundred and one class on the offense as much as a uh, maybe a, a postgraduate degree and a much deeper understanding as to uh, exactly how it works and not just kind of a broad. Uh, base idea. I also think that he's obviously hired people that are much better idea as to what the final end product should look like. But I, I look if you're here uh, in two years later, you you lose your offensive line coach and your OC coach, then at the very least, uh, more likely than not, that's because of success. And if you're Willie, you have a much better idea as to what that looks like, and you not only should you be able to make a better hire who pairs with what you want offensively. Uh, you should have a whole hell of a lot better idea as to what exactly the scheme is uh, that you're trying to run, and that, in theory, should uh, should make finding the person of a replacement maybe a little bit easier. Yeah, I, I think that's really well put by you. Not, not not the one-on-one level course. You're absorbing more. You are growing more with that. And and you can kind of make it your own even a little bit more, right? I mean, Lane Kiffin has, has incorporated some of the Browse concepts after the one year together at, at Florida Atlantic. And they don't run the strict browse offense, but they run something pretty well, and, and they run it. Uh, they actually run it extremely well. All right, here we have uh, two more, I think. In reference to the 2019 improvement, were there issues last year that compounded problems? 
For example, toxic QB makes bad offensive line worse. The bad O-line is, is also confused, making it even worse. Toxic players are toxic to the culture. Staff dysfunction compounds the problems at quarterback and offensive line, general confusion, etc. That, if fixed, would lead to the possibility of exponential improvement in the offense slash team. To me, reading and listening, it seems as, as though there were force multipliers of suck that played into the different aspects of the team making, sorry, mom, she doesn't like when I say that, uh, of the team making them worse than perhaps they should have been. It seems like there were a lot of intangible issues driving what would have been bad stats, uh, making them worse than it would have been last year, if that makes sense. Thanks and happy to say my first game in 13 years in Jacksonville. I'll see you all at the Madison Social Tailgate. So very much appreciate the question there. Look, man, to me, there's no doubt. Like this team... It, we're both projecting pretty good offensive line improvement, right? And it damn sure ain't because of talent. Unless unless you change your mind on that in like the last two weeks. No, I'm certainly consistent there. And I think, uh, you know, the force multipliers uh, is kind of a funny funny line, but not like a ha-ha, not rooted in actual reality. I mean, you said it had so many areas of uh, – of toxicity that they just kind of multiplied and uh, were very much what the what the gentleman described them there. Uh, your offensive line uh, was should be the area where I think you have maybe as much buy-in and collective uh, of a unit on the field. That room wasn't a great place. The quarterback room was a mess. Uh, you just had too many too many weak points in the chain uh, throughout the offense, but really the team in general. And uh, if you have a little more collective buy-in. I could certainly see where maybe you'd have some force multipliers of positivity out there. And the quarterback one is important too, right? Not that, not that, okay, I'm not going to say the old quarterback wasn't causing problems, but also there's the element of sort of being the sheriff and reining in problems and spotting problems before they, they, they manifest themselves as big problems. And I do think that Blackman, as probably evidenced here as being voted unanimously team captain, I, I think he's able to help some of the behavior on this team. And, you know, they had no rest this offseason. And their their academics are going in the right direction. It does seem like the culture is being flipped. Probably slower than we want because of the inability to kick dudes off who don't want to really try hard and work hard because the, the APR score is so low inherited from Jimbo that you, you can't afford to have guys leave the program before they matriculate up and graduate. But – I think Blackman's a part of that, is, is making sure that, that he is making dudes make the right decisions or, or helping them to see what the right decisions are. And last year, you kind of had a click on the team that really liked Francois. And, and I do wonder if that click liked him because they also behaved like that. So I'll throw this one at you here. You got a uh, you got a bowl project. You got a bowl projection. Any idea where we're going to be come December? Yeah, you know, I'm, uh, I keep kind of talking us into this eight and four record, where I think my head probably leans me closer to seven and five. But uh, eight and four, third in the uh, Atlantic. Where would that have you landed exactly? Nashville, maybe. Uh, behind the curtain here for the listeners, I I sprung this on Ingram without uh, without telling him that I was, that we were going to ask this question. So. All right, ACC bowl tie-ins. College ball playoff semifinal, probably not, I, I would think. Um, <laughs> potential? Potential there, certainly. 
Capital One Bowl, which is the uh, the Orange Bowl or Capital One Orange Bowl versus New Year's Six. Again, probably not. That's that's likely going to go to the uh, the loser of the ACC title game. Uh, so then, first tier, right? And the, the ACC has the rule, I believe, where you have to be within two wins to get selected for this. You don't have to have like the best record. You just can't. You can't get in at six and six and go over somebody who's nine and three. Uh, so, Camping World would be the third best ACC team. If Florida State goes eight and four, there's a real good chance that they're going to be eligible to be picked for that. So, you could be in Orlando. Citrus Bowl, also a, a, a potential if the top possible team is higher ranked than the SEC or Big Ten team. Again, they're facing off against an SEC or Big Ten. That's probably unlikely. Then you have the Belk Bowl, which is in Charlotte, the Hyundai Sun Bowl. Uh, which is in El Paso. We'll probably not be uh, expensing a trip to there unless we really got to do some tax stuff at the end of the year. Unless you want to, you want to go see Juarez? Yeah, maybe. We'll see. Depends on what kind of tax situation we're in. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, New Era Pinstripe Bowl against the Big Ten. I would, I would go to New York for that. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be happy. Happy with that one. Take. We, we, we could take the girls. And you get to see Rockefeller Center all, all lit up around Christmas. That, that could be fine. All right. Uh, or the Franklin American Mortgage Music City Bowl. Or the Tax Slayer Bowl. All right. There's a lot of tie-ins there. Now, let's say you barely make a bowl. This is where it gets pretty bad. <laughs> you ready? Yeah, you can go I, to the know, walk, I know. You can go to the Walk-Ons Bowl again. The Walk-Ons Independence Bowl. Whoa, that was fun. That's The, a sp- the Military sports- Bowl, which is... Typically, what, Wake or BC, I think? Sometimes Pitt. Uh, quick Lane Bowl. You do not want to be in the Quick Lane Bowl. That is going to Detroit for uh, for the holidays. We will not be making that trip, I don't think. The Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl, which is uh, um, in that, – that's in St. Pete. Uh, and then the Birmingham Bowl, which, again, we have some listeners in Birmingham. I'm not going to denigrate Birmingham, but – I'm probably not going to vacation in Birmingham in December if I have my choice. So let's just try to get into one of the first-tier bowls. Again, uh, Camping World, Citrus, Belk, Hyundai, Sun Bowl, uh, which is at least famous. Pinstripe Bowl or the uh, Music City Bowl or the Tax Slayer Bowl. Man, how is how is Tax Slayer and Music City in the same one? That should be like, hey, you get to go to Jacksonville. Or Nashville. Well, yeah. Well, the tax is. I mean, it's it's technically the Gator Bowl, which has some right has has some historical cachet. But uh, yeah. did they really sell their name out? Like, it's not the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. It's just the straight Tax Slayer Bowl. No, I think it is the Tax Slayer. Tax Slayer has their graphics and stuff on it, but it still remains the Gator Bowl. All right. Well, USA Today has this as is listed solely as Tax Slayer Bowl. So uh, that that may be a mistake on their part. Wouldn't totally shock me. All right, uh, so I will say that Florida State will go to – they're pretty attractive. So I'm going to say the uh, the Belk Bowl. Yeah, I'll, I'll stay with what I originally suggested. I, I uh, wouldn't shock me to see us in the year in Nashville. All right, that would be a, that'd be a good time. So with that, please uh, rate and review us on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use. Continue to spread the word. We've had a great off-season, another successful year is coming up, and uh, we'll we'll be there to to give you all the good and the bad and the in-between on Florida State football and uh, keep the questions by ourselves prompts coming for us. Thanks, y'all.